back everybody to um, our Come Follow Me study here at spiritualcrusade.com. My name is Debbie and you guys today I'm really excited because I have a new speaker thing and I'm still working out the kinks so <laughs> it might not be perfect this time but give me a thumbs up below if you feel like it helps if you feel like the sound is better. I would love to get some feedback on my new speaker thing. So I'm trying to improve the sound of my videos. So I'm hoping that will help. Okay, you guys, we are in 2nd Nephi 26 through 30 today. And oh, there is so much good stuff here. <laughs> there is so much good stuff. What I love about these chapters is um, Nephi is gonna prophesy of what's gonna happen to his people in the future. And we're gonna actually get to read about that in the Book of Mormon, like as we go, like in Third Nephi, you're gonna see the things that he talks about here in Second Nephi 26 come to pass in Third Nephi. So it's actually really pretty awesome. Um, also, chapter 27 is an Isaiah chapter, and you're also gonna see a lot of what, like in 26, you're gonna see a lot of similar things between 26 and 27. We'll talk about that today because that kind of helps clarify Isaiah a little bit. So when I read 26, this is just my personal opinion. I like to think of 26 kind of as not just what's going to happen to them, but I like to think of it as kind of a type for us as well, because we've been told that third Nephi 11 is going to look very similar to the days before the second coming of our Savior Jesus Christ when he comes again. So in this chapter 26, you're going to see a lot of the events that will be in um, third Nephi. So I like to look at this kind of as um, a type for our future as well as for their future. Now, as Nephi is telling them these things for their future, it can look kind of scary as he talks about, well, let's just get into it really quickly. At the beginning, he says, and after Christ shall have risen from the dead, he shall show himself unto you, my children and my beloved brethren. Now here he is speaking, Nephi is speaking to his, his um, family and descendants. And he's saying, okay, Christ is going to be born. We're going to see the signs of that in verse three. He, we're going to see the signs of his birth and then he's going to die and we're going to see the signs here in America of his death. So, and when we, when we read the Bible, we see the signs of the death of Christ, um, over there. And then he's going to say, we're going to see them here too. Okay. And he says that in verse three, but then he says, after he has risen, he's going to show himself to you guys. He's going to come, which is so awesome. He's preparing them for the coming of their Savior Jesus Christ here in the Americas, which is awesome. So in verse three, he talks about the signs. We're gonna see the signs. And then you're gonna see what those signs look like in five and six. But before that, he starts talking about the wicked. And he says, for they shall perish, speaking of the wicked. It says, well, let's just start at the beginning. And after the Messiah shall come, there shall be signs given unto my people of his birth. So he's gonna come, we're gonna read about that in the Bible. We're gonna see his signs here of his birth and also of his death and resurrection. We're gonna see all those signs here as well. And great and terrible shall that day be unto the wicked, for they shall perish, and they perish because they cast out the prophets. Pay attention to that, we're gonna see that again in the next chapter when Isaiah speaks. We're gonna see this idea of casting out the prophets and the saints that goes on and stone them and slain them, wherefore the cry of the blood of the saints shall ascend up to God from the ground against them. So here he's speaking like, Woe unto the wicked. This is not going to be a pretty day for them. Now, five and six, we're going to see some of the things that's going to happen. It says, um, earth shall swallow them up. Mountains shall cover them. Whirlwind shall carry them away. Buildings shall fall upon them. Now, I want you guys to think, if you are hearing all this, 
it would cause some fear, right? Very similar to the fear we get when we're reading Revelations and Isaiah and we're getting all those like, this is the hardships that are coming. We get kind of those like fear feelings. We're just gonna get kind of like, oh no, I don't, <laughs> I'm not really sure I wanna be alive for that, right? We're just kind of like, uh, <laughs> I don't really want that day to happen. But he's gonna tell us that it looks different for the righteous. And I love this because even though he's speaking to them, saying it will look different for the righteous when this happens to you guys, I also think it's a type for us. It will look different for the righteous when our Savior Jesus Christ comes again. It doesn't mean we're not affected. And we're going to see that. We're, there, everyone will be affected. But there is a difference. Let's read about it in verse 8. But behold, the righteous that hearken unto the words of the prophets and destroy them not... Now, I just want to pause here and say, hearken unto the words of the prophets. Why is it important that we listen to the words of the prophets? Because they warn us. They teach us. They instruct us. They prepare us. So here he's saying, to those that hearken unto the prophets, to those who are listening to their words and heeding their warnings and their instructions of what to do for the future, and obviously those who are not killing them off, that's good. Um, let's, where, where am I? We're just starting over. But behold, the righteous that hearken unto the words of the prophets and destroy them not, but look forward unto Christ with steadfastness for the signs which are given, notwithstanding all persecution. That's important because this is one of the areas where the righteous do suffer. We suffer at the hand of the wicked. We often do throughout scriptures. We always see this. But notwithstanding the persecution, he says, behold, they are they which shall not perish. Okay, I want now. I love this because if you guys go to um, 3 Nephi 10 12, and this is in the footnote for chapter 8 or verse 8, go to 3 Nephi 10 12. This is when it's actually happening. We just read the prophecy, like this will happen, and now in 3 Nephi it's actually happening. And he says in 12, and it was the more righteous part of the people who were saved. And it was they who received the prophets and stoned them not and received, once again, listened, heeded. And it was they who had not shed the blood of the saints who were spared. Okay, I love this. So this is a type for our future as well as for them. Yes, there's crazy coming. <laughs> the whole idea of like the mountains covering them and the whirlwinds, I'm sure that terrified them. And we have similar type things for our future. But I just love this idea that like the righteous will be spared. Okay, we just have to like endure the events. Okay, but this is where he, it, I think in verse nine, we see that even though we were righteous, there's gonna be some effects of what's happening. Obviously the persecution will have affected us. We're gonna have lost loved ones and friends. Um, many of us, I mean like the destruction, it affects everybody, everybody. But in verse nine, we see something that's so important. But the son of righteousness shall appear unto them and he shall heal them. I love that because that just goes to show, and I don't think this is just like physical healing. And yes, it will. There will probably be those of us that have physical ailments from the destruction. And this, I mean, this, he's talking about the signs for them, but I'm talking about for us, for our future. So I'm kind of combining the two ideas, but anyway, there's going to be the physical healing, but there's also going to be a lot of the emotional healing, just the, um, you know, the pain, the sorrow, the anguish, um, the guilt of maybe not having done more for those who were lost or whatever those pains and feelings might be, the son of righteousness will come and he will heal them. And we're going to see that again in 3 Nephi 11 when Jesus Christ comes. Now he's going to continue his prophecy and he's going to talk about generations will pass in peace. And I think he says like four generations, um, 
and many of the fourth generation shall have passed away in righteousness, and then after that comes speedy destruction. We see that word in 10. And when these things have passed away, a speedy destruction cometh. A little bit further down, he says, I have seen it. And I'm sure this was really hard on him to have seen the destruction of his people, as it would be for any of us. In fact, we know how hard it was on him in verse 7. He says, Oh, the pain and the anguish of my soul for the loss of the slain of my people. And I just can't, can't even imagine how, how that must feel for him. But anyway, so he has seen that destruction. Now, there's another way that our Savior Jesus Christ manifests himself unto us. We have this one where he comes personally, in person. And then in 13, we see another one. And let's read it. And that he manifested himself unto all those who believe in him by the power of the Holy Ghost. Yea, unto every nation, kindred, tongue, and people, working mighty miracles, signs, and wonders among the children of men, according to their faith. Um, okay, we're going to see, he's going to now kind of like fast forward. And you see that fast forward because he's going to use a lot of the words after. <laughs> In verse 15, after this happens, and after this happens, and after this happens, you're going to see. And then at the bottom he says, um, even that they are not, okay, let's just read it. Let's just read it, guys. Let's <laughs> it's so good. After my seed and the seed of my brethren shall have dwindled in unbelief and shall have been smitten by the Gentiles, yea, after the Lord God shall have camped against them round about and shall have laid siege against them and them with a mount and raised forts against them, and after they shall have been brought down low in the dust, even that they are not, yet the words of the righteous shall be written, and the prayers of the faithful shall be heard." I, we're just going to stop right there. It goes on, but I just love this because here he's going to begin to talk about the Book of Mormon. It wasn't called the Book of Mormon in their days. It was their journals. It was their history. It was their writings, but it later becomes the Book of Mormon as it's compiled and translated. So here's going to continue in 16, 17. Um, I don't know how 16 and 17 for sure. We're going to be talking about this, the Book of Mormon. Okay. And I love how he uses the words in 16, and their speech shall whisper out of the dust. Pay attention to that because we're going to see that again in Isaiah in the next chapter. Um, so anyway, we're going to see this like, you know, the words of them that have passed will come forth out of the dust, right? This Book of Mormon. And then we're going to see, um, starting in 20, we're going to see this, um, the Gentiles being lifted up. And we're going to see this idea of many churches coming about. Just this, um, we'll just read some of this. Many churches, nevertheless, they put down the power and miracles of God. They preach unto themselves their own wisdom, their own learning, that they may get gain and grind up the face of the poor. 21, we see envying, strife, and malice. 22, we see secret combinations and combinations of the devil. Now, this isn't necessarily like one specific church. This could be, this is just the, um, the widespread idea of apostasy across the land, the darkness, the confusion, okay? And we're going to see this, uh, and we're actually going to compare it with Joseph Smith's history in a minute. Um, but in, in verse 22, he says, uh, let's see here, and he leadeth them by the neck, Satan, leadeth them by the neck with a flaxen cord until he bindeth them with his strong cords forever. Flaxen cord. So I want you guys, I wish I had a string. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't bring it to my video. Um, but just imagine like a little string that you would like sew a button on with or something, like just a little string. And just imagine leading someone with that string. It's so thin. At any point, they feel like they could just snap it or break it. Like at any, they don't feel bound. 
They're just being led by this little string. There's no feelings of um, control or being bound. They're just being led, right? Now, it's it gets worse though. It says, um, and leadeth them by the neck by the neck with the flocks and cords. So I guess really it's by the neck, not by the hand. But anyway, you get the imagery. Until he bindeth them with his strong cords forever. So what happens with this little string when you start to add to it and you take the string and you add more layers and more layers and more layers and more layers and more layers, and more layers eventually you can't break it. It's so strong. And that's the idea that Satan, like he uses, he just brings you little bit by little bit and then he just binds you and entraps you. We're gonna see so much more of that in the next couple chapters. So that's, there's so much more you guys. Um, now we're gonna see this in 23, this idea that, the, that God worketh not in darkness. Pay attention to that again. We're gonna see that in Isaiah. God worketh not in darkness. He wants the world to see his work right? And we're going to talk about the, the wonderful work and the wonder, the restoration of the gospel. Like he is not hiding in darkness. And we just finished talking about the secret combinations of the devil. They are in darkness. They are hidden and he is not in darkness. We're going to see this idea of come. Jesus wants everybody to come unto him. And verse 25, come unto me all ye ends of the earth by milk and honey without money and without price. Now we're going to see some questions. I love I love these questions because he's going to ask us some things that he really wants us to think about, okay? It says in verse 26, Behold, hath he commanded any that they should depart out of the synagogues or out of the houses of worship? Has he cast any of you out? Any of you? No. He says there, Behold, I say unto you, nay. He doesn't say to anybody, you're not allowed in here. <laughs> Don't come, right? He doesn't say that to anybody. Next question, Hath he commanded any that they should not partake of his salvation? I say unto behold, I say unto nay. Um, and then we're next questions in 28. Behold, hath the Lord commanded any that they should not partake of his goodness? So we've got his salvation and his goodness and his synagogues, all three. Behold, I say unto you, nay. Everybody is welcome to the goodness of our Savior Jesus Christ and to the salvation of our Savior Jesus Christ, to his churches. Everybody is welcome. So come one, come all. Um, and then he says, okay, so he's going to give us some commandments. <laughs> in verse 32 um, and 30 through 33, we're going to see like, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not envy, malice, commit whoredoms. And then in 33, he says, for none of these iniquities come of the Lord. None of this is of the Lord. This is all of the devil, all of it. For he doeth that which is good among the children of men. If it's good, it's of the Lord. If it's not good, it is not of the Lord. <laughs> He does not do any of it, okay? Contention is not of the Lord in any way, shape, or form. And then he says, I love this part, and he invited them all, this is in 33, to come unto him and partake of his goodness, and he denieth none that come unto him. Black and white, bond and free, male and female, he remembereth the heathen, and all are alike unto God, both Jew and Gentile. He doesn't separate us into groups or classes or races or um, none of that. I don't even, I'm like, what, what all the words? Jew, Gentile, none, none of it matters. Like he says, come, come one, come all. It doesn't matter. I just love those words. They're so beautiful. He invited all to come and partake of his goodness. And I love he uses that word because just a few minutes before he says, does he deny anyone his goodness? And now he's like, no, come, come all and partake of my goodness. 
Woo! Okay, so that is 26. 27, we've got the Isaiah chapters, and we're going to see some of the same wordage from the chapter we just read, so I want to pay attention to some of that. Um, in verse 22, we're going to see some of the disasters of the days that are coming. Thunder, earthquakes, great noise, storm, tempest, flame. Compare those to 5 and 6 of, verse, of chapter 26, where you've got all the disasters that are coming, right? Because, like I said, these can be for them and these could be for us. Um, 5, we're going to see the idea of rejecting the prophets. And you compare that to chapter 26, verse 3. Remember when they fight against the prophets, they reject them, they stone them. Here he's talking about that again. We're going to see talking about the Book of Mormon starting in verse 6. And we also saw part of that in chapter um, 26. So I love what we're going to learn about the Book of Mormon in Isaiah's words because it's amazing what he knew and what he saw long ago and what he prophesied would happen all those years ago, you guys. It's so awesome. So let's go to nine. But the book shall be delivered unto a man. That man is Joseph Smith. And he shall deliver the words of the book, which are the words of those who have slumbered in the dust. Now, if you guys remember in 26, he testified that their words in verses 16 shall whisper out of the dust. Okay, we're talking about the same book here. Isaiah is speaking of the same book that Nephi was speaking of, which is pretty awesome. Now, we are going to see in verse, um, verse 12, this idea of three witnesses, which we've seen, Joseph Smith and the three witnesses. That was testified all these years ago, all these years ago. And then in 14, we're gonna see that there will be more witnesses, which is awesome because we also had the eight witnesses. So let's read that. Wherefore the Lord God will proceed to bring forth the words of the book, and in the mouth of, mouth of as many witnesses as seemeth him good, will he establish his word, and woe be unto him that rejecteth the word of God. So we had, we had more than the three. We also had the eight. And then we're going to see this story of this um, this idea. Let's, let's read it. It's um, 15. But behold, it shall come into pass that the Lord God shall say unto him to whom he shall deliver the book, Joseph Smith, take these words which are not sealed, and deliver them to another, that he may show them unto the learned, saying, Read this, I pray thee. And the learned shall say, Bring hither the book, and I will read it. Now, in 17, And the man shall say, I cannot bring the book, for it is sealed. 18, Then shall the learned say, I cannot read it. I want you guys to go to Joseph Smith History, verses um, 64 and 65. You will see that story. When he brought, um, when he brought the manuscript to the man, I can't remember his name, and at the end of their discussion, the man said, I cannot read it. It's a sealed book. So read that. Joseph Smith History, verses 64 and 65. 23, just highlight this phrase because it's so good. I am a God of miracles, and I will show unto the world that I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I work not among the children of men, save it be according to their faith. I am a God of miracles. Have faith in me, and I will work miracles in your life. Um, okay, we're going to see the restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ in 26. It's called a marvelous work and a wonder. And I love those words. And we're also going to see um, in 27 how the Lord says, and their works, let's see here, let's just start at the beginning. And woe unto them that seek deep to hide their counsels from the Lord, and their works are in the dark. Compare that to chapter 26, 23, when he talked about um, the secret combinations in the dark, but then he said, I don't work in the dark. <laughs> I work in the light, right? This wonderful work, this marvelous work in the glory is in the light. It is for the world. We turn none away. 
we want all to come. So awesome. Okay, so I hope that Isaiah's words made more sense as you compare the two chapters. So it's pretty awesome because they have so many of the words, same phrases and wording. And I just think that we can take what he prophesied for the... Um, for his seed and what Isaiah prophesied for the future and liken it all into ourselves because it's pretty awesome. Okay. Chapter 28, we are going to get more um, of this idea of churches. So first we're going to start with, about talking about the Book of Mormon in, in verse 2. And the things which shall be written out of the book shall be of great worth unto the children of men and especially unto our seed, which is a remnant of the house of Israel. So here he's saying like, this book is going to be of great worth to everybody but especially for our seed, which is pretty awesome. And then he's going to go on and talk about more confusion of the churches. And I want you guys to go read Joseph Smith history verse five as you read those verses, because this is just a time of confusion, a time of, um, I mean, it's the apostasy is described as a dark period for a reason. It's just pure confusion. But then at 15, we're going to have a very key, a, a, a phrase that really helps us to identify who it is he's speaking to. He's not just speaking to other denominations that are righteous and love the Lord and doing the best they can. He's talking to those, in verse 15 it says, and pervert the right ways of the Lord. He's talking about those who want to pervert the right ways of the Lord. And he repeats that again in verse 16 when he says, um, woe unto them that turn aside the thing, adjust for a thing of naught, and revile against that which is good, and say that it is of no worth. Okay, so we're talking about here people who are not the ones that are just doing the best they can, love the Lord, and you know trying hard to follow Him, but those who are really perverting right the right ways of the Lord. They're trying to confuse righteousness and wickedness, and those are what He's trying to say woe unto. Okay, now we're gonna see the way Satan works in chapter 28, and this is so interesting the way He is described in these verses, and I just I really love this understanding of Satan because it gives us a different side of him. So often we think of him as kind of like this like screaming, you know, attacker in our ears, but the words he uses here, I'm going to I'm going to give them to you first, and then we're going to talk about them. Pacify, lull, cheateth, carefully, flattereth, whispereth. <laughs> Got to get another hand up there. These words are like subtle and soothing pacify okay what does it what do you would we when a child is screaming we want to pacify the child right so i think about this idea of like you know we're cradling the baby we're doing what we can to calm them down we're giving them a bottle or a pacifier to keep them quiet you know you know just take you know just this idea of like oh you don't like to be the only one that's not drinking go ahead and have a drink let's just pacify that feeling i know you don't want to be the only one left out go ahead and take a drink right isn't that like totally like we're just going to take away all these uncomfortable feelings and we're just going to make it go away. Go ahead and take a drink. It's, there's no harm in that. Doesn't that sound like a pacifier? <laughs> a teenager pacifier? Lull. What does lull mean? Calm? It means to like calm or send to sleep. Typically with soothing sounds or movements, right? So this isn't the screaming in the ear that so often we think of. This is the lull. This is the soothing sounds. The like everything's going to be okay if you look at that magazine. It's no big deal. Let me just take away those feelings of guilt. Let me pacify that, right? So there's these words, pacify, lull. Um, and thus the devil cheateth their souls and leadeth them awake carefully down to hell. When you think of cheateth, when I think of cheateth, when I think of someone cheating at a game, I think of someone who wins the game by doing something that I didn't necessarily maybe even recognize. They they cheated the game, they won because they played it wrong. <laughs> but oftentimes, 
they do it in such a way that you don't even notice they did it. They cheated, but oftentimes the other people don't even notice, right? So sometimes, what I think with Satan, when he cheated the souls, his lies and the way that he works, often we don't even recognize it. We don't even see it for what it is, right? He just has this way of carefully leading us down to hell. Um, once again, with that flaxen cord, right? Like at first we're like, there's no big deal. Like this is, I can break free of this at any time. And then he just gets you and gets you and gets you and gets you and gets you. And he just keeps it around. Flattereth, that word, and whispereth in their ears. Listen to this. And thus he whispereth in their ears until he grasps them with his awful chains from whence there is no deliverance. So we went from like a flaxen cord <laughs> We went from like a string to chains. That's a big difference, right? But it's this flattering, this like everything's going to be okay. Don't worry about it, right? And we're going to see those those words, those all is well in Zion words coming up here soon, shortly. I think it's in, where is it? Where's all the well? Oh, right there, right there, right next. <laughs> 24, therefore woe be unto him that is at ease in Zion. 25, woe be unto him that crieth all is well. This idea that he's like, you don't have to go to conference and listen to the prophets. There are old men. You don't have to listen to them. Come, let's go do something different that's more fun, right? That's carefully leading them. So I just find that way of looking at Satan and recognizing that his, his, um, his ways are subtle and very... You know, they just make us feel like everything's okay. If I do a little here, I'll do a little there. Now, chapter 29, keep your red pencils out. This is so good, you guys. This, uh, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 29 is like what it's all about. I don't know how to explain that. I just love these verses. I'm just going to read them, and this is what, this is what it's about. But behold, there should be many at that day when I proceed to do a marvelous work among them, that I may remember my covenants, which I have made unto the children of men, that I may set my hand again the second time to recover my people, which are the house of Israel. When I think of this verse, I think of the gathering of Israel. I think of our day. I think of the covenant of the Lord. I think this is what it's about right now. President Wilson is getting us excited about the gathering of Israel. He's asking us and pleading us to help in it. This is what it's about. It's about the covenants. Uh, let's continue. And also that I may remember the promises which I have made unto thee, Nephi, the promises I made you, Nephi, and also thy fathers, that I would remember your seed, and that the words of your seed should proceed forth out of my mouth unto your seed, and my words shall hiss forth unto the ends of the earth for a standard unto my people, which are the house of Israel. The Book of Mormon is a standard unto the people. Isn't that awesome? Now, we're going to see this beginning of the idea of Bible of Bible. We don't need any more Bible in, in verse 3. And oh, I tell you what, I I have so many friends who have pretty much like verbatim given that word, that phrase to me. It's amazing how many of them are just like, I don't need any more Bible. We have enough. So that that is a real, a real thing. Um, but I love how he's going to say, this is why you need more. This is why you need more. Let me tell you. Come and let me share with you. Seven. Seven through nine is going to be the why. Why we need more more okay i'm not going to read them all but i'm just going to kind of highlight them one thing is he remembers one nation like another the book of mormon testifies that he remembers one nation like another he gave the bible was written in one part of the world that is not the only part of the world that god loves the book of mormon gives us an understanding that god loves one nation like unto another the second thing 
Um, the two nations shall run together and their testimonies will run together. The Book of Mormon is another testimony of Jesus Christ. It adds to the testimony of the Bible, which is awesome because out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, you shall know. So we have the, the additional witness. It also goes on to say that he is the same. Um, and I love the word he says, I may prove unto many nations that I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. So those are some good reasons. Um, and then also in verse 9, his work is not finished. He, his work is not finished. And the Book of Mormon gives us some insight into the work that is continuing to happen, right? It gives us into insight into the gathering of Israel and insight into, you know, the coming forth of our Savior Jesus Christ. We get a lot from the Bible, but we get even more insight into what we're taught in the Bible in the Book of Mormon. It adds to it. It helps us. It clarifies. It It strengthens it. It's awesome. So his work is not finished. There's so much more to be done. It's just awesome. And I love in verse 10 that he says, Need ye not suppose that it contains... Oh, where, let's just start the reading. Wherefore, because ye have a Bible, ye need not suppose that it contains all my words. He has the ability to write more words. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> Neither need ye suppose that I have not caused more to be written. There is so much more to be written. We're going to see that idea in verses 12 and 13. We're going to see the idea in 12 and 13 that there's even more that we don't even have yet, right? We're going to see the idea of the Jews write the Nephites write, and other tribes, it says, other tribes of the house of Israel, which I have led away, and they shall write, and shall also speak unto all nations of the earth, and they shall write it, okay? And then in, this is repeated in 13, this idea that like, there is even more that we don't have. And it shall come to pass that the Jews shall have the words of the Nephites, and the Nephites shall have the words of the Jews, and the Nephites and the Jews shall have the words of the lost tribes of Israel, and the lost tribes of Israel shall have the words of the Nephites and the Jews. There, That right there shows that the work is not done. It is not done. We do not have all those words of the lost tribes. So there is more to come. There, This is exciting. The restoration is exciting. And as President Nelson says, it is ongoing and it's awesome. Chapter 30, you guys, we are almost done. Um, I love this idea in chapter 30 that he really wants the indigenous people of the Americas to know their history. He wants them to understand where they came from. And it's, we're going to see that in 4 and 5. He says, And then shall the remnant of our seed know concerning us. So the remnant of our seed will know, uh, they'll know their history because they'll know us, our, their fathers. How that we came out from Jerusalem and that they are descendants of the Jews and the gospel of Jesus Christ shall be declared among them. So he's really helping them understand like this book that's going to come forth, which we now know as the Book of Mormon, is going to be of great worth to them, but it's also going to be of great, great worth to us and our people because then they'll, they will know their history. They will know that they are part of the house of Israel. Now, in verse 6, when it talks about the scales being removed, uh, the scales of darkness, I just want you to note that it talks about their eyes. It says, um, And then shall they rejoice, for they shall know that it's a blessing unto them from the hand of God, and the scales of darkness shall begin to fall from their eyes. So, this is a, the scales of darkness are referring to the unbelief. And it's going to fall. They're going to come to this understanding. They're going to come to this knowledge. And then in verse 7, we're going to see that the Jews are also going to begin to believe. Okay? So we're going to have all these gatherings of these people. Um, and I love how in um, verse 8, it says, To bring about the restoration of his people upon the earth. And once again, going back to the idea that this hasn't all happened perfectly yet. So the restoration is still happening. This work is still going on. It is not finished. 
And then we're going to see the separation of the wicked and the righteous in verses 10 11. And we're going to begin to see the millennial, the millennium start in verse 12, where the lamb and the lion shall lie down together and all these wonderful things that bring about the millennium. And I love in verse 18, the second half, and Satan shall have power of the hearts of the children of men no more for a long time. And now, my beloved brethren, I make an end of my saying. So there is going to come a point. We have so much to do, so much to like, so much has to happen, right? We're just not done. But at the end of it all, we'll have the millennium. Satan will have no power over us. And it's just going to be beautiful. So there is so much to, to get excited about. Anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed our 2nd Nephi 26 through 30 chapters today. I just love them. Get so excited about them. And I hope you guys will join me again next time. So we'll see you then. Bye.